0: Well, today we are wrapping up our uh, renewal series. Over the past six sermons, we've seen the emphasis on God's presence. We've seen a a call to prioritize prayer in our church. We've seen an emphasis on prioritizing family. That's your individual family units uh, in in terms of family discipleship. We've seen a a re-emphasis on the practice of Sabbath. It's good to be a church that has a lot of ministry and that gets busy really quickly, but it's very important that if you're serving, that you're also first and foremost worshiping because worship and prayer is the fuel that empowers all effective service. Uh, we've, we've looked at what it means to take every step forward, the next step forward, seeing that the Christian life, it's hard to just jump from point A to point Z. Uh, and so the Christian life is a struggle. It is challenging where you're going one step at a time. And so we were encouraged just to take your next step on the discipleship journey and that pathway through Philippians and and, and to look forward, not to look back, but to continue to look forward towards the upward call of Christ Uh, and then last week we looked at the importance of the church family, and we see even as people pass away and as people are hurting how important it is that we have community, a community that can care for each other, and that community also serves as a salt, as a a light for the outside and unbelieving nations, and so we've seen God's presence, prayer, family, Sabbath, um, taking your next step forward in the church family, and today I want to tie it back together, tie everything together by reemphasizing what renewal is all about, which is really a realignment with God's presence. And all of those are different ways that we are realigned with God's presence. Along the way, we've been borrowing uh, and adapting a a definition of renewal from Mark Sayers. Mark Sayers is a Christian thinker, a pastor, a Christian theologian from Australia. He's from down under, and he's a great thinker. In terms of forward thinking, he's uh, also, uh, I feel like he's conservative when it comes to orthodox and evangelical faith. But he defines renewal, and we're paraphrasing, as quote, the refreshment, release, and advancement that individuals and churches experience when they are realigned with God's presence. So you're talking about renewal, individual renewal is when your personal spiritual walk is realigned with God's presence. Maybe you're trying to follow God, maybe you're trying to live for God, and you're doing it just by your flesh. Or or well-meaning, but you're just using sheer willpower. And so you're just going along, and when you're realigned with God's presence, that's where your power comes from. But this is also talking about corporately as the church, a a realignment of of, of this. Let me take a moment just to thank the AV team for for doing this. you'll you'll notice the text is really small and that's because we as preachers we prepare our our powerpoint for the text overlay for the video stream so if you watch us online you'll notice that the powerpoint it comes right here right so uh so so you you know so that it doesn't block your face and we actually don't actually prepare a a on-screen presentation for you Uh, but by the grace of the av team they just take that and they it up for you so um so thank you for doing that that's extra work for them but so it's us except for kevin (laughs) it's it's us that hasn't uh we just don't have the time to prepare two powerpoints um and and i know there's teams of you that said pastor can we help you do this and honestly we're we're barely figuring out our points sometimes sunday morning we're changing things so that's just how it is (laughs) with church life you know and um with with just the number of staff that we have, we're, we're so even if you're offered to help, I, I, I can't get it to you early enough maybe, <laughs> to help to put stuff together. So so thank you for being patient with us. But uh, maybe when COVID is over, God willing, sometime five years from now, after we move through the entire Greek alphabet of alpha, beta, gamma, delta, just remember we have the alpha and omega. Okay, regardless of lambda and everything, we'll finally be done, uh, and then we'll go back to regular PowerPoint. All right, um, but. So thank you, AV team. So that's why the text is small, because it needs to go down here, okay, for the live stream people watching at home. Um, but, but we're borrowing that definition. Mark Sayers also says something, says progress has replaced presence. Now, the problem that we're, face, we're facing in the Western world is that this secular idea of progress, progressiveness, has replaced the need for God's presence, which is religious belief. Today, there are two realities that I want to highlight for you today, okay? Two realities that I wanna highlight for you today. If you have your um, bulletin or the digital bulletin, you'll see both realities stated as full sentences for you. Uh, I'll give them to you point by point on the little slide as we go along. But the first is that secularism desires human flourishing through progress apart from god's word and presence i'm going to show you that in point number one is the whole idea of secularism is that you can achieve human flourishing through something we call progress i'm not talking about progressive politics though that might be included in there but even conservatism there's conservatism that's non-religious that's purely secular, secular. so when we're talking about conservative christianity we're not talking about politics but we're talking about conserving the need for religion And belief in God right and you'll see that in a moment okay but secularism desires human flourishing through progressivism or progress apart from God's Word and presence the opposite of secularism starts with the s is scripture teaches the human flourishing comes through God's Word and presence so I'll give you those as we go along but so that's why the title of today's message is God's presence versus godless progress one is for the presence of God the other argues for the absence of god one sees that the presence of god is absolutely necessary for true and lasting human flourishing and progress the other sees that progress means the absence of god because god means bigotism god means that you're prehistoric and that you're um, ancient in your thinking okay so point number one is not an exposition point number one has no scripture to it Point number one is meant to raise a need to cause you to think about the world that we live in. And point number two is the sermon for today. So point number one, secularism desires human flourishing through progress apart from God's word and presence. Now secularism is about the absence of God. And that's what we mentioned, right? The opposite of secularism is the presence of God. In secularism, religion is considered as a primitive superstition. So when, when, when you're talking about progress, that includes the elimination of religion. That includes advancements apart from God in science alone. The science shows you the miracles don't exist and are not necessary because you have technology. Medical technology shows you that it is strange, weird, and unnecessary for you to pray for some type of ancient healing that's supernatural, that you don't need the gods. Technology shows you that you no longer need to pray and depend on the supernatural because you have everything based on human ability and knowledge that you can just develop. You have needs, just develop technology. And as you progress over time, the less and less you need God. Politics shows you that you can run the world apart from God. How's that gone? morality shows that that actually the prog- progressive world will say say look religion is primitive and discriminates against inclusion of all different types of uh, of peoples and genders and sexual orientation so progress means you accept everyone so progress is a certain brand of tolerance and so they would see morality coming out of religion as not good, as anti-progress, as too conservative. So, of course, there are some positive developments that have come from progress in medicine and technology. But what we realize is that apart from God, progress is ultimately lacking because progress has, is marred by sin and as we progress over time secularism actually believes that with the right conditions humans can achieve perfection and the humans can achieve a type of social utopia and obviously when you consider the western world you're talking about post-christian them you're talking about post-religion whereas when you enter into the eastern world and even what you would call the Southern southern world, people still believe in God and different gods and religion, and in the Muslim world, right, they believe in Allah and on certain tribal areas, they believe in, in all kinds of superstitious beliefs. And so you can see that this is really a challenge in terms of Western civilization, that progress is good in some sense, but it's kind of eliminated a need for religion and God. Mark Sayers says, quote, and I have that quote for you on the your bulletin quote secularism is the attempt to create a system of human flourishing in which the presence of God is absent and quote and so I want you to think about where we are at though when it comes to secular view of progress in the words of Mark Sayers this whole desire for a social utopia is wanting the kingdom without the king They want the fruits of christianity without christ so when you say you want justice as long as there's sin justice is always going to be marred and flawed and so justice is impossible without the just king jesus christ people say they want peace but peace for themselves there's a cost to peace but apart from christ there cannot be lasting peace people want prosperity And as well-meaning as we want to say prosperity, that yes, you know, money and comfort and technology and materialism, and it can, we could if we wanted to feed the poor and heal poverty, but because of sin, there's greed and there's selfishness and there's evil and there's sin. And so prosperity will never happen truly apart from Christ. And moral goodness, well, everyone in a world of tolerance, whatever they feel is good, morally good is morally good. So when you throw out God and religion, you no longer have an objective reality, an objective standard for morality. And so whatever you think is good is good, and that's a problem. So due to sin, we see that over time, we continue to see evil, injustice, war. Even America, you know, we have great intentions, but you leave a nation by itself. What can you do? And even within America, there's sins that we need to deal with, right? There's constantly war, there's evil. We see this ever-growing disparity between, and I'm not just talking about rich and poor, but what do we see in the Western world compared to even in our own world, but compared to other parts of the world, you see very, very rich and greed and materialism. It's like very, very rich and very, very poor. People who can't even provide water for themselves, they don't have clean water, and then you have people who are living in excess but becoming depressed and anxious because money can't buy enough medication for them. Progress has not succeeded. We see the moral decline in society over time. In fact, every good thing that comes from technology, which is good, can become corrupted. Pornography, evil, greed, um, stealing people's information, selling it on the black market, addiction through fantasy, through technology. So you see that wherever sin enters, that realm becomes corrupt. This shows that as much progress we have, eventually, apart from Christ, it will lead to failure because apart from God, you can really do nothing that's good. Progress lacks the lasting transformative power. But we live in a world of technology, of ever-changing progress. That's where we constantly need renewal. We need God's presence. So the secular, secular view of progress has crept into not only western civilization which it's dominated i would say but it's crept into western christianity especially in first world nations with prosperity and material comforts reality is the more progress we have the more technology we have the more medical developments we have the more affluence we have the less we need miracles and when we live in a world where it tells you you don't need to pray you first go to your device and begin to, you know, see what the world has to offer you, the less Christians are going to depend on God in the West. The more we are not going to see that the enemy is like a crouching tiger, right, where or, or he's a hidden dragon, whatever you call it. What is it? You guys tell me. I don't watch movies. The, the serpent creeps around and he creeps into Christianity and he doesn't just come out and reveal himself and we don't see that American Christianity has become secularized our Christianity if we're not careful is more about individualism it's about your faith and you and churches providing services for you and whatever pleases you. And if that doesn't work, there's another church down the street. It's not about the church that's in your community because you can drive progress 45 minutes away if you want to, to get the best programs for you. And you can serve if you want to and everything's about you and me. And so when, when things don't go well, what pastors get depressed and blame their churches for burning them out, right? It's self-centered and churches blame their pastors when they don't grow spiritually. <laughs> and churches and people blame their churches when they don't grow spiritually and everything's individualized and every everything's about individual comfort and everything now is on the phone and on the app and on the live stream and everything like that and everything's about comfort and so i think that's why when something like covid hits it reveals the spiritual not the physical the spiritual fragility of christians in the west our discipleship is shallow we can't handle anxiety. We can't handle depression. We can't handle fear. We can't handle a lack of comfort. And you just see, you know, pastors are taking their lives. Pastors can't handle the pressure. I understand that. And everything's about the celebrity, everything's about being platformed. You look at how the Western world has reshaped Christianity, secularism. Is silently secretly telling us you don't need to pray pastor you your people don't need to pray they don't need miracles they don't believe it in it anyway. it's secretly telling us we don't need God because we have progress that's point number one as Christians we must recognize the secular creed of progress is beginning to reveal itself first it's revealing to the world its futility but now it's being revealed in the church more and more point number two is scripture teaches us that human flourishing results from god's word and presence it's the very opposite of what secularism and progressivism desires progressivism says we don't want those ancient rules we don't want god's law we don't want god's word and we don't need god's presence but scripture tells us that you need god's word and you need god's presence otherwise you can't flourish I want you to see this from a very classic text that we read this morning already in our opening call to worship, Psalm 1. If you have God's Word, please take it and turn me to Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, in verses 1 to 3, we see a life of flourishing. In verses 4 to 6, we see a life of futility. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Let me first read you the first three verses. Blessed, or flourishing is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers now many of you bible students you've heard that the word blessed is often translated as happy in fact, the Southern Baptist translation, the Christian Standard Bible, I think has it translated as happy. That is because you can translate the Hebrew word for blessed as happy. Happy is the man. But the word happy, everybody would agree that it doesn't relay or really convey the full weight of the Hebrew word for blessed. Because when the psalmist is talking about happiness, he's not talking about American happiness that when things are good you're happy when you're prosperous you're happy he's talking about a deep-seated joy that even when you are suffering even during hardship you flourish and you're able to go deep and get that deep joy why because you the source of your joy is being deeply rooted in god and not in circumstance in christ and not in crisis meaning your emotional disposition is not determined by crisis, but by, Christ, by the fact that Christ is, and He is in you. And so theologians prefer a translation of flourishing. That blessed can be translated as flourishing is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits nor delights in evil. Now, what the psalmist is, is, is amazing he's talking first positively about the blessed man, but in speaking of the blessed man, he uses negation to show you and to implicate the sinner, the wicked man. So really, he's talking about a life of flourishing by showing you the digression or the regression, the digression or the regression of the person who moves into sin. And so let's unpack this for a little bit. First, the word blessed, flourishing, you're going to see in a moment that it's talking about this tree that bears fruit during the harvest that survives the scorching heat of the summer, the the very dry weather of the Middle East, but at the same time, the harsh conditions of the winter that the roots remain nourished. And during the time of harvest, this tree doesn't die. It doesn't wither. uh, It bears fruit. How does that happen? Well, first, here's three things that that tree doesn't go through. And that tree obviously is a metaphor for people, for us. It says, first, blessed is the man who flourishes because he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The word counsel here in the Hebrew refers to advice, thinking, and worldview. But it is counsel that shapes you. And to walk is not just to take a walk down the street but you know that in Christian language we often use a colloquialism that says your Christian walk we don't mean taking a walk to the supermarket we're talking about the way of your life how do you walk every day how do you live it's talking about your lifestyle and so the person who does not live according to the advice the worldview the secular progressive thinking of the godless That voice that tells you, here's how you ought to shape your lifestyle according to worldliness, according to the world system. The person who does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked, instead meditating on the law of the Lord, that person is blessed. Secondly, the person who flourishes does not stand in the way of sinners. Now, once again, way is another descriptor of your way of life. What is your way of life? Right? So there's your Christian walk and there's the way that you, that you live. So that pathway, think of a pathway that you choose to pursue in life, your, the, your chosen lifestyle, your career path, right? the family planning, what is the path of life that you choose? And is that path influenced by godless counsel that leads to godless living? Right? So it's standing in the way of life, the sinners stand. Where do you take your stand? Who do you stand with? Who do you stand among? Thirdly, the person who flourishes does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Once again, it refers now to your belonging. Who do you belong to? Who do you identify with? Who is your community that you associate with? A nice way to say that is where do you take your seat? Who do you take your seat among? Is it among those who reject God's presence and His law? Those who mock the existence of God and the need for God and religion? Put another way, do we belong to those who scoff at God and His word? Where do we take our seat? So walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. Scholars point out a, pro- a process of regression into sin first the godless person moves from walking to standing and then to sitting so you start by walking and maybe you're just walking and you're just walking around in life taking advice and finally the next thing you know you're standing with and together with and in the company of sinners but you're just standing and finally you're like settling down and you're taking your seat among them there is a digression that happens and it eventually leads to your rejection of God but something that scholars don't always point out is I want you to notice that each step requires the presence of at least one other person we underestimate the need for community and how community shapes us I've heard, let's just call it mama, but I've heard parents often use the phrase, don't hang out with people, they'll be a bad influence on you." you. What do you think that means, that you can be shaped by community? How about I was in the wrong place with the wrong crowd? I got caught up in the wrong crowd at the wrong time. All of that is stealing from Psalm 1. Community is formative even if we want to reject community because isolation will also form you. It will deform you and destroy you. What we often miss is the communal aspect. In every sense of the step, walking in the counsel of the wicked, community is forming you. Standing in the way of sinners, plural, you're being formed by others. There's peer pressure. Society is shaping you. Social media is influencing you, shaping you. Sitting in the seat of scoffers, plural, you sit, you don't want to sit alone. If you do, you will self-destruct. So there's others that you're sitting among. And so you see that it takes more than one person to influence you, but it also takes a community to shape you. So we've seen that. The renewal is not just an individual project because your lack of renewal is a community project so your renewal is individual but it is also a time where we come together you don't, you need to pray alone but you need to come together with other christians and pray you need to read the bible but then you also need to study the bible with other people you need other people to walk with you so that so that when you go through life and you struggle there's people to spur you on now notice verse 2 now the comparison of the illustration let's unpack the illustration of a tree, the one who flourishes, is not shaped by the counsel of the wicked, but instead he's filled with God's word. The psalmist emphasizes meditation, meditating on God's law. God's law in the original context is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But as Christians, we apply this as all of scripture. And it says day and night. That doesn't mean that literally the psalmist is just sitting there, reading the bible and meditating all day otherwise how do you do anything in life it's talking about your heart is filled your mind is shaped it's talking about a contrast rather than your worldview being shaped by the secular world it's being shaped by the word of god and so that's being filled with god's word so much so that you're governed internally by god And so your your heart is governed by the instructions of god now it's important to understand the meditate here this verb in the hebrew for meditate it's not simply referring to a cognitive exercise but sometimes when you hear of meditation in eastern religion they're telling you that you actually empty your mind and you just meditate by thinking about nothing that is impossible that's called insanity Okay? So that's not what it's talking about. It's giving you an object of meditation, which is the Word of God. So you don't empty your mind. Secondly, it's not just a mental exercise at the same time. It's not just studying the Bible and thinking about the Bible. That, that's important. It's not just scripture memory. Scripture memory is good, but sometimes you're working on your own ability. Right? You're thinking, when you're trying to memorize the, the scriptures, you're using your cognitive ability and that's important, but meditation is formative. It includes your, cogn- your cognition, but also your emotions, your heart, your soul. In ancient times, they read the scriptures out loud. And if you don't understand that, write that down. That in ancient times, they read the scriptures out loud. They needed to hear themselves. And it was okay if their kids heard them as well, right? Parents reading the scriptures at home. How do we know this because the same hebrew word used for meditate is used in isaiah chapter 38 verse 14 to describe the cooing sound of a pigeon so you can hear the sound of a pigeon it's that's the same word in the hebrew for meditate the same word is used in isaiah chapter 31 verse 4 to describe the growling of a lion so when aslan growls he's meditating The same verb is used to describe the voice of a human in Psalm 35, verse 28. So this whole idea that meditation is only a cognitive, spiritual, mystical experience is flawed. Not in the Old Testament understanding of the use of meditation. To meditate on scripture is a formative exercise where they read the scriptures out loud. And they allowed themselves to hear, and the words would go through their lips and take shape and take form. Doesn't it make sense that the Word of God is meant to be proclaimed? That the Word of God takes flesh in you and comes out of you. That the Word of God begins to go through your mind. It doesn't just go in your mind and out your ears. It doesn't just go in your mind and float away through through distraction, but it comes out of you where now first you're meditating the next thing you know you are a like a record reflecting god's praise you what do you guys use these days I, I you guys don't use mp3 machines anymore right i don't know your phone what, what do you guys listen to music on i don't listen to music either um just knx and, <laughs> and sports but you, you know you know like like you're like a rec- you're like a cd player i'm old okay basically you're meditating on god's word and you're singing praise it's coming out of you it's a full system okay Uh, and that's that's when you know that that word of god is taking shape in you and then the behavior comes afterwards point being meditation begins internally and it comes out externally that's why there's fruit you see right thinking leads to right living right belief leads to right behavior right emotions leads to right execution right desire leads to right decisions the one who flourishes fills his heart or her heart with God's word it begins to come out of you through song and praise and and speech and the next thing you know you begin to experience God's presence is in you and coming out of you and the people around you begin to experience God's presence being uh, coming out of you being reflected out of you and in verse 3, the psalmist paints this picture of a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. You get this picture of a tree that's water source never runs dry in a dry and arid area. So you have this ancient tree. Trees would either be planted by seed near irrigation streams or they would be transplanted. So you would take a tree, you would dig it out just like you would buy a tree at the nursery and you'd plant it small and it would grow but you would want to plant it near streams of water the key is that that water source needs to keep coming otherwise the tree will die and it will not bear fruit so the so the water source needs to be there and and then it it says that tree will be firmly planted the roots will be deep dug down and in the harvest season it will yield its season right its leaf does not wither prosper here when it says in all that he does he will prosper this is not talking about worldly prosperity this is not talking about health and wealth it's not if you meditate on God's word day and night you'll be really rich and you'll be always healthy that's not what it's talking about or very powerful because here's what happens when you meditate on God's word all day and night that's what you're going to love and that's what you're going to desire so you won't be praying for a Ferrari or perfect health or perfect wealth and when you don't get those things you won't be distressed you won't be depressed and distressed in fact when your heart is filled with the word of god you're going to want the things of god and so you're going to prosper even when you're sick you're going to prosper even when you're poor because your your heart is going to be filled with the things of god and your heart is going to remember the Savior who suffered for you. And, and, and you're going to pray for other people. And, and your, your mind and your heart is going to break for orphans and widows. And you're going to be convicted of your affluence because of that. And, and you're just going to love people more over time. The opposite of this is what we see in verses 4 to 6. So in verses 1 to 3, we see a life of flourishing. But in verses 4 to 6, we say, see a life of futility. It would be sad to be a tree firmly planted or not firmly planted in streams of water. That the, the, the leaves wither and you just dry up like chaff and when the winnowing fork is used during the, uh, you know, the barley drops or whatever and you just get blown away like chaff. All right, let me read to you verses 4 to 6. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You're like, there's no weight to you. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In verses 4 to 6, the psalmist gives us a contrast of the wicked. Unlike a tree that flourishes through good seasons and bad seasons, the wicked are like chaff. Now, chaff refers to dried up or dead plant matter. So, unlike the righteous, who are compared to trees, the leaves are healthy. The wicked will be blown away when the wind comes. When the trials of life come, when the storms come, you won't make it. But you also won't make it in the day of judgment. That's why it says the wicked will not stand in the judgment. The wicked will, will not be passed over. The wicked do not have Christ. The wicked aren't deeply rooted in Christ and the Word of God, that everything will fall, that they will be eventually cast into the eternal lake of fire, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, meaning right now the sinners are walking with, with other sinners, and the sinners are sitting with mockers of God and scoffers, but so because of that, they will not be numbered among the congregation of those who have been made righteous in Christ, made right in Christ, and then in verse six, it says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, know here is not just talking about his omniscience, The Lord knows here, it's talking about Him personally knowing you. It's talking about a relational knowledge. The Lord knows you personally. He knows the way, the life of the righteous. He's looking upon you, caring for you, even when it doesn't seem like life is easy. He's walking with you. The Lord has a personal relationship with those who follow the way of the Lord. And we know as New Testament Christians that the only way to know the Lord in this way is through Jesus Christ. But the way of the wicked, they will perish, meaning they will face eternal judgment and doom. And yes, even on earth, they will see the consequences of sin. And that's the contrast to the flourishing. But where we go to Jesus is John 15, verses 4 to 5. Now, my intention is not to exposit John 15. It's way too rich. We'll get into that later on. John 15 at another time. But in verses 4 to 5, we see Christ-centered flourishing. This is the New Testament application of Psalm 1. Notice that Jesus uses a similar illustration. It's different, but he talks about branches and trees and fruit. And I don't have time to get into that today, how Israel was supposed to be a vine. And, and how when, even when you look at King David, you know, the, the root of Jesse and, and the branch Right? and all this imagery in the Bible, and how Jesus died on a tree, we just don't have time to get into that, right? But there's rich parallel when you read the scriptures and meditate on it deeply. But Jesus, rather than saying meditate on the law day and night, which still is important, he says, abide in me, and I in you, meaning remain in Christ, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit apart from me you can do nothing meaning you can do nothing of lasting spiritual impact nothing that truly impacts the world for god nothing that leads to true flourishing now If you are going to be that tree firmly planted in streams of water, you must be deeply rooted in Christ. You remain in Christ. Even when you read the Bible and study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, it needs to be applied and understood through Christ. And that's John 15. So now we're talking about Christ-centered flourishing. And so the big idea this morning is Christ-centered renewal is a rhythm of flourishing because of God's Word and presence christ-centered renewal is a rhythm of flourishing because of god's word and presence let me unpack this big idea for you and apply it as quickly as, as we can first psalm 1 says meditate on the law day and night that's the word of god christ john 1 tells us that christ is the living word of god and john 1 14 says he is the word of god that became flesh so, when you're talking about one, the Word of God, you're talking about Jesus Christ. Secondly, when you're talking about the presence of God, and when you're talking about the presence of God dwelling among us, you're talking about the Word that became flesh, who came to tabernacle among us. And you're talking about Christ. And when you're talking about the only way to enter into the presence of God, you're talking about Jesus Christ. And so, when you study God's Word, you're studying Christ. And when you pray for the Holy Spirit to give you God's presence, you're really talking about in the name of Jesus Christ, that Christ is with you, he seals you, and when you're talking about that good fruit that you bear, you're talking about Christ-like character, and Christ-like decision-making, and Christ-like living. Now, three ways that this, this application shows up in our lives. First, as we alluded to, as Christians, we must recognize that the secular creed of progress is beginning to reveal its futility okay? I'm going to ask you for an extra five minutes. I need you to do me a favor. When you pick up your kids, for those of you who do, thank the workers and blame Pastor Hanley. Say, Hanley preached too long. Sorry, we're late, okay? But thank them because they're sacrificing, holding down those kids, all right? So as Christians, we must recognize, number one, that the secular creed of progress is beginning to reveal its futility. You have to recognize that. Don't fall into the secular trap and don't listen to the health and wealth preaching or even light preaching that's just self-help type of five ways to change your life. You know, go home and do this. There's no power in this. There's too much secular influence in that. You need to go deep. You need to spend time praying. Think this, technology provides the digital bridge that can connect us globally. And they tell us too that technology can help connect the church. Yes, there's truth to that. So today, Christians and non-Christians are more connected now more than ever. It's a digital bridge that's supposed to bridge communities. So why has technology led to more tribalism, more division, more selfishness, more, why are we more lonely? If technology is supposed to unite us easier, quicker, make things better, then why are we more lonely? why is online church lacking right it's good during a pandemic but why can't you live without human contact why do you go depressed if progress works why are we more polarized why is everyone finding their own camp on social media why are we more individualized progress has sold us a lie and it's selling it to the church Progress also promised that happiness would come through a world with an abundance of material goods and wealth and instant gratification, convenience and comfort. You see this in our Western churches. You go to places like Southeast Asia, you go into the places where they are very small churches in the rural areas and the cost that it costs to build our building, I don't know how many hundreds of churches you can build up. But in America, you need this type of building and facilities even to attract people to be willing to come to your church. You need upkeep and you need expense. And so at the end of the day, you know, you have churches filled with every single app and gadget and you know, you can use that to your advantage. It's good, there's benefits to that. But at the end of the day, eventually, you see how we're not happier as a church, we're not happier as Christians. Why are Christians more and more depressed? Why are Christians more and more lonely? We have an abundance of materialism in our churches. We have goods, we have wealth. We're wealthier than all the churches in places in South America or South Asia. Why? We have instant gratification, instant download, a million free devotionals everywhere, everything at your fingertips. You have Q and A on Google, any spiritual knowledge that you want according to the Bible. Why? Why we're comfortable? Why aren't we happier? Why are more and more Christians needing desperate counseling? Why are Christians getting bored? We have a disdain for the routine and tradition. It's let us, left us flooded with endless over-information. We're paralyzed with endless options. Why are Christian workers burning out? running programs for consumers going into big churches and small churches asking for program after program after program we're serving why aren't we happy why now more than ever is the world more anxious depressed void of true personal meaning if we have christ why aren't we surviving and thriving past covid Why are pastors retiring, burning out or flaming out or going into moral failure if the pastors are supposed to be the people who are closest to God? Why do we as pastors, servants, and Christians feel enslaved to our busy schedules, maintaining a quality of life and maintaining a certain quality of life when we have God, the Almighty, living with us? Why? It's because we've given in to the secular lie. And we've forgotten what renewal means. Second, as Western Christians, we must ask, how has the secular creed of progress crept into other versions of our Christianity? And I can't answer this for you. I'm not condemning you. I'm preaching to myself as well as a pastor. As Western Christians, right? So this is not a rhetorical question. This is not a guilt trip question. I'm asking myself. And I don't have an answer for each of you. You have to go before God just like I have to go before God. And all of us need to spend time asking how has individualism, cons- consumerism, comfort crept into our own understanding of Christianity? And when a crisis like COVID 19 came around, was our faith firmly planted in streams of water that, we can, that, that can withstand with the storm? You know what was revealed to me, what broke my heart as a pastor? I feel. Convicted because you know, I'm supposed to be a shepherd is I see people that I love who are mature on the Bible and Service, but when the election came around they got co-opted by politics. They became politicians Everything was that they hated the other side both sides and, and you just see Christians who know the Bible love the Bible And I'm saying as a pastor. What what have we done wrong? Have we not taught the Bible? have we not taught the gospel and I saw how shallow and how up here in the head FCBC some of you were and I took blame for that I said man what have I done wrong and God's like Hanley you know you you're part of the problem right you you care about those things too and so at the end of the day you guys know that I'm conservative when it comes to politics and values but I had to separate conservatism from true conservative faith and going back to the gospel the other thing is I saw how once we were scattered, I saw how, look at people doubting their faith all of a sudden, people falling apart, depression, anxiety, all of that, we care, and we love you, and we're, we're praying for you, and now we're overloaded, and we don't have enough people to care, and that's why the biblical counseling class is so important. to equip you guys to care for each other, but as pastors, we start to ask the questions, have we not taught our people to go deep, I thought we were an expository preaching church. I I thought we were going deep in the word. How come it's just staying in the head? How come our people are so fickle and shallow? And and how come they're fighting over little things like face masks or no face masks? How come when it's COVID, they're so afraid? They eat in the restaurants, fly on planes, but they don't wanna come to worship. Even though they're vaccinated and wear masks, what is going on? what is going on with our people how spiritually immature are we and how spiritually immature are you pastor you talk to your people about the lakers and and basketball and this but are you on your knees fasting and praying your people are more concerned about fantasy sports than reality and this is what you sold to them and god made it very clear this church will not grow deep until we repent but it start it had to start with us and it had to start with us who preach the most and for English that would be me preaching 80 more than 80% of, of the time right and so Jesus has taken my heart before the throne and i've had to continually look at where i failed and how i need to lead you better and how i should be begging you to come to prayer meeting rather than updating you on the latest trade rumors and and stuff like that and i started i don't know i started watching ufc a lot just maybe there's too much internal angst i gotta quit with that too number three renewal is it must be a regular rhythm it can't be something that that we preach only because covid came renewal must be a regular rhythm of personal and corporate discipline that leads us to experience god's presence And I know this sounds boring, but if Psalm one is true, there's only, it goes back down to Bible reading and prayer. True Bible reading, true Bible study, true Bible application and prayer. How do you have renewal? How do you go deep in your faith? How do you build strong Christians? This is done privately and corporately, prayer and Bible reading. This is the word of God. When you spend time in the word, this is God's presence. And when you pray, It's even better than Bible study because you're not even trying to like cognitively just study things to be smart or get information. You eventually you start, and prayer is formative. You can be selfish in your prayer, like I mentioned before, and before you know it, you start to get convicted. And you're like, God, I'm just praying selfish things. Or or you can be praying judgmental prayers, right? Like the Pharisees, God, I pray that you would judge that evil person, and then all of a sudden the spirit begins to transform you. You're like, you know what? if it wasn't for God's sovereignty, you could be born in another place and and, and be in another religion and and you wouldn't be saved and you need to remember to be merciful. When you begin to pray, it begins to form you. Now how your prayers stay in check is the word of God tells you who you're praying to and what is inbounds and out of bounds. So a balance of scripture and prayer, it just goes back down to that will guarantee almost a constant water flow to be deeply rooted in streams of water, meditating on Christ and his word and praying through the spirit day and night so that our hearts are governed by what is true and not listening to the voice of secularism. I know I need to land this plane, so I gotta do it. Let's pray, Father, I'm so thankful for the children's workers who are holding the fort down right now. Bless their hearts. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we end this series and as we go into our senior pastor series, that you would anoint the lips of Pastor Albert in the next four weeks to continue to speak to our hearts, that we would continue the journey with you in a new season for our church, that we would understand the importance of prayer and Bible formation both individually and corporately. Help us to repent, not out of guilt or shame, but out of love. Lord, I pray that you would continue to comfort our church as we go through trying times. Help us not just to be enclosed to our four walls, but help us to be missional as we go out and be salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.